think we left off last week with um, David given in to seeing Absalom. Absalom comes there, which is what he really wanted to do, and um, David hadn't seen him in two years. Came to the king and um, prostrates himself face to the ground, and then the king kissed him. And it's like, he's back. He's back in now. Only thing is, this is where it uh, gets definitely worse as the time goes on here. And he's going to turn the Israelites' hearts from David to himself, Absalom is. So that's kind of where we're at. And um, things are kind of going downhill real quick for David. But... Even though you don't see uh, a lot about God here and His name really mentioned, even though His name is mentioned, the the Lord, um, He is not just in the background. He is part of the story, isn't He? He's the writer of it. Let's pray. Father, thank You for who You are and what You do for us. And uh, Lord, we may learn from the Old Testament things that happen to people that uh, we would not like to see happen to any of us. We know we can learn lessons from all of the text of Scripture. And in tonight, again, we see how uh, you still are operating your plan even through horrible things. And you watch over your people. In Jesus' name, Amen. Okay, well... Absalom, now as soon as he's seen that he's gotten in good with uh, his father David, might as well take advantage of it. Pretty good at that. (laughs) So the first 12 verses is dealing with uh, his conspiracy uh, against his father and the king. So let's take uh, let's take about half of that there, Vel, and uh, could you read one through six? Mm-hmm. After this, Absalom got himself a chariot and horses and fifty men to run before him. And Absalom used to rise early and stand beside the way of the gate. And when many men, when any man had a dispute to come before the king for judgment, Absalom would call him called to him and say, From what city are you? And when he said, Your servant is of such and such a tribe in Israel, Absalom would say, See your claims are good and right, but there is no man dis... What is it? Deputed. Oh, disputed? Designated? No man? Okay. But... Right. By the king to hear you. Then Absalom would say, Oh, that I were judge in the land, that every man with a dispute or cause might come to me, and I would give him justice. And whenever a man came near to pay homage to him, he would put out his hand and take hold of him and kiss him. Thus Absalom did to all Israel who came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the heart of the men of Israel. 
get to this quick, don't we? It happens quickly here. Shortly after uh, his reuniting with uh, his father, and he now has access to the king and freedom to go about uh, wherever he wants to go in style because he gets chariot and horses and 50 men as runners before him. 50 bodyguards in case there's some that want to get to him possibly, right? Um, chariot, horses, 50 men. No avenger is going to have uh, too much success trying to get a hold of Absalom. So that is a situation. By the way, when you have chariots and you have horses, it reminds you of um, the things that kings should have. Because if you go back to First Samuel chapter 8, verse 11, it says, This will be the procedure of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and place them for himself in his chariots and among his horsemen, and they will run before his chariots. So, uh, it's kind of a mark of a king. You know, he would be, uh, of course, he taxes the people. He drafts the sons into the army. And, uh, you know, he makes the best for himself and gets the, the best possible situation that he can have. And, of course, the people have to pay for that. So that was a warning of what's going to happen when you get a king. And, uh, you know, they had God as their king, but they wanted more. Ah, more than God, right? So he says, okay, here's what's going to happen. Well, here is a, a young man. Uh, I don't know how young he is, but he's definitely younger than David. And he knows what it takes to... Um, get into a high position. His dad has uh, been there, and he's done it. So uh, why not take advantage of the situation that he has now? Would you call him a good politician? Oh, I think that's exactly what he is. He's a politician. Um, Every day he would station himself on um, the road to Jerusalem probably just outside the city where David really couldn't see him and see what he's doing, kind of out of the sight. But uh, what an impressive sight that must have been for the people. Um, He is very handsome, as we looked at last week. You know, he's got all sorts of hair on him, and um, he's got a chariot um, and 50 men out there. Quite a model that he that he has there in that, in that particular chariot. I'm sure people are seeing that, and they're going, "Wow!" It's a new model. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah. Shiny chariot. So people are passing by, and uh, there they are looking. That he's looking good. So uh, David uh, is going to start looking bad as Absalom is starting to look really good. you know. And remember those outward looks. They get you someplace. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, we got a blonde-headed man here. And <laughs> yeah, was it? Uh, I was watching the Cardinals last night, and they had Harrison Bader is on the Cardinals. 
But you notice the first name starts off with hair. Well, he's got a lot of hair. It's blonde hair, you know. And if you're, if you have flowing locks and you're blonde-headed, you're considered to be a good-looking guy, evidently. So you know they were saying, is that right? You ever have locks, flowing locks? Back in the day. <laughs> so, I mean, he's got what it takes. And people notice that. And he knows it too. Um, at any rate, um, travelers going there are stopped by him. And it's like saying, hey, if you're going there to get, uh, going to the king for judgment, <laughs> it's not going to happen. <laughs> the king's not really doing that right now. And uh, matter of fact, he's doing a really poor job. Uh, but I'll tell you what, if you'd had me as a judge, you would have won the case. I'm telling you, this guy's a politician. And that's what gets people's attention. What can you do for me, right? Right. <laughs> so, um, the judge, he's almost like he's a judge here. He says, I'd, I'd rule in your favor. Um, if I were judging on Israel, so you know he would see to it that people would get taken care of. So he says all the right things. He does all the right things. He looks the right way. He must be something that is moving on, you know. And so people remember that um, whenever he says that um, David would not be judging. You know, he's actually lying because you remember the lady that came to him last week, the Roman, the, the woman from Tokyo? My woman from Tokyo. There, I got it, didn't I? <laughs> actually, it's the woman from Tekoa, but uh, that's pretty close. What's that? Yeah, that's, that's right, it was. He was the singer. Who else did he sing? He, I think he did. <laughs> Probably did. Well, he'd have been the lead singer, and he'd been the one that looked better than some of the, you know, the guitar players and drummers. You know, they just put them all way back there. So, lead singer, yeah, he, you know, he was he was noticed. You know, so he, you know, he probably had women in every city. So he had long hair. <laughs> But so did rest of Deep Purple. Okay, so much for that. That's two weeks in a row. I can't continue to go on with that. Isn't that right, Carolyn? Yeah, she's saying, come on, Dennis, moving on. Uh, Absalom really is kind of lying. He's a hypocrite. Just what kind of justice would he be able to put out? The kind of justice that uh, maybe um, Amnon received? Yeah. <laughs> that was his brother. What did he do with him? He just killed him. Well, uh, what? How about justice for his sister? Well, he kind of took care of her, but yet he kind of put her back. Just be quiet. Just don't say anything. Or how about the justice? Maybe that David, his father, had given him. Maybe it wasn't maybe the best either, right? So would he be a good judge? Probably not. But that might he might have the qualities right that just might make him a judge. <laughs> uh, 
I, I can't help but look at Audrey. <laughs> How much do we get into justice and this kind of thing in the Bible? It seems like every week. Isn't that interesting? Um, there is justice. It's found in God. Most men have a little bit of justice, but uh, a lot of times it's all on the outward aspect. Uh, yeah. But he would have been elected, this guy would have. Um, Absalom wins the heart. It says right here at the end of verse 6. He wins the hearts of the men of Israel. The people all over. And I mean, you know, he's showing them that he really cares. He has compassion for them, you know. And here's what I would do. And so they remember him. And uh, so he moves on along. How about 7 through 9 there, though? This is a so called vow. And at the end of four years, Absalom said to the king, Please let me go and pay my vow, which I have vowed to the Lord in Hebron. For your servant vowed a vow while living at Geshur in Aram, saying, If the Lord will indeed bring me back to Jerusalem, then I will offer worship to the Lord. The king said to him, Go in peace. So he arose and went to Hebron. But Absalom sent secret messengers throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, As soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, then say, Absalom is king at Hebron. While Absalom went two hundred hundred men from Jerusalem who were invited guests, and they went into their inner inner sense in their innocence uh, and knew nothing and while Absalom was offering the sacrifice he sent for a the Gileanite David's counselor from his city and the conspiracy grew strong and the people with Absalom kept increasing. You said all the way to 14. Right, right, there you go. I just oh. want to say something quick. I think it's funny. It says, he goes to the king, and the king said to him, go. Not, and he went to his father David, and then his father turned him. It's like the, yeah, the, like the hierarchy has changed. The relationship has seriously changed. Because before we get to here, we go back and it's, David, you know, father, Absalom, son, you know, there's that whole relationship. But now it just kind of seems like king, just king. The king said this, the king said that. It just kind of, kind of like really shows you kind of the separation between the father and the son. But, but to me, it's been for 14 years. It says 40 or 4? Okay. It says 40? Actually, your translation says four. Yeah. It and it and it does. And here's where it's real tricky. We believe in every word of God is is true, right? The so what do we do on this? Well, you'll see throughout Scripture every once in a while, especially in the Old Testament, where there are things called copyist errors. God's word, as far as it is, it is it is inerrant. 
uh, we have what we have today are translations, and the copyist errors are probably very early, very early back to the time of whenever this was written. And it comes out, and finally you get it into English, and guess what you have? You have 40. And we know that it can't be 40 because the, the most that David ruled was 40 years. Yeah, so you're having a little trouble with that too there, right? Yours says 40. Could it, could it mean like yeah. at the end of the 40 years this took place? Like could it be, could it be saying like summoning up a whole chunk of time? No. Um, what, what you have here is um, it could refer to the age of Absalom, right? But no, it can't. Because then we go back, he was born at Hebron. Okay, and even in our text here that's dealing with the day, he's born at Hebron, and that's after David had begun to already rule, right? right? So that was after that time period. That's found in chapter 3. So that would be impossible for it to be 40 there. And Absalom said he had made a vow, uh, or uh, was it? No, no, no. Uh, David's reign, we know it's 40 years total. And so your four-year, if it's a four-year period, which I suggest heartily, like about 99.9%, either with Absalom's, probably either his return from Gesher or whenever he made up with his father, David. One of those two. And I would tend to think, going right along with this, it might be after he had come with David. You know, Now he's got this build up. It's got the chariot, 50 men, the horses, who knows how many people, you know, that are really kind of following after him because of his so-called judgeship or whatever he really had there. But um, So it's probably within that four years of him and David getting back together or coming back, back to town to Jerusalem. And that would make the sense. Now it came about at the end of four years that Absalom said to the king, he goes up to the king and he says, hey, I made a vow. This is a spiritual vow. Matter of fact, David is proud to hear this. You know, David is quite the spiritual man and whenever he sees his son, you know, his son actually is saying this. I don't know if he really did make a vow. Knowing what he's doing here, he probably made all this up too, he I'm sure. He made a vow. But the vow not the vow that he was telling yeah, yeah. Like I vow to get vengeance on my brother. You know, yeah. I vow to right, take right. the kingdom from my father. <laughs> no. God, it, it, we've all done this. We've heard this before. God, if you do this, right. this is what I will do for you. Mm-hmm. The guy's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> I remember the Burt Reynolds movie. He's out there and in the ocean, you know, and he's getting ready to sink, you know, and he's praying to God, you know, God, if you'll if you'll get me back, I'll uh, you know, I will follow you as like yeah, like true, yeah. I'll believe in you, I'll do everything you want. He gets a little closer and he gets closer and finally gets there and it's like, uh well I didn't I didn't really mean that. I didn't mean what I said when I said it. I was desperate. <laughs> The, well, yeah, yeah. Martin Luther didn't have done that only taken the knife either. <laughs> 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 I 
DeLuise. Where did that one come up at? A bell going here. Who's Tom DeLuise? <laughs> that's that's that movie. Yeah. <laughs> you actually remember that one? Yeah. All right. Tom DeLuise was he was funny. Guy was great. Burt Reynolds. I mean, he had a career going there for a while. You know. You're, you're going, I don't know any of these guys. But you guys, you guys thought it was funny, so I'm going to laugh. I'm going to partake in the humor, even though I don't know what's going on. just blending. Anyway. Okay, boy, I am really showing my age here lately. Deep purple and Burt Reynolds. Okay. <laughs> okay. So he he makes a vow. He says, uh, "You know, uh, let, let me go. I, I was going. I'm going to do this vow, and I already vowed to the Lord that I was going to do this because look what He's done, you know, for me. And and I want to uh, I want to follow Him closely. I'll serve the Lord. Uh, if the Lord shall indeed bring me back to Jerusalem." Then I'll serve the Lord. Yeah, see, and that's where I'm like, I feel like I know that's a lie. I really feel like he had no intentions of yeah. returning. Right. Yeah, like zero intentions of coming back. He knew what he's doing, didn't he? Uh, yeah. And, and so, you know, as the go as as it goes on, you know, he's kind of making his he's made his dad look bad as a judge, and uh, now you know here, this is is that uh, he's got a plan going now. Uh, your servant vowed a vow while I was living at Geshur and Aram, saying, If the Lord shall indeed bring me back to Jerusalem, then I'll serve the Lord. The king That's said to him, Go in peace. Does he have to ask permission? That's one, another thing that got me about the first verse there. Verse 7. It says, I yeah. let me go I don't really think that he, yes. Yeah. I, I'm, I want to tell you before I go here, basically. And so whenever he takes some people with him, you know, I think that he, it'll look better that he's yeah, asked him. I think also that if he just takes some men with him, leaves, you know, you could arise some suspicion. If you're trying to be sneaky, exactly. and like incognito, you're going to want to try to, you know, how do they say, you know, cut all loose ends or whatever. Yeah. Do you think maybe some of that suspicion has already arisen because Possibly. he's maybe hearing that yeah. uh, you know he's hey, kind of getting popular funny. down there well, with the people? Kind of up in years, more than he was before all of this event took place. You know, you have the two years with the son, and now you have the four years. That's seven more years added on to however old David is already. You know, and so he's going to have to have a successor, and he favors Absalom. So maybe he's just kind of like, maybe he's showing the interest for the people and for the kingdom, so maybe the transition could be a little smoother. Yeah. And I would see that, like, because as far as David is concerned, he has, like, it almost seems like he has no suspicion of Absalom. Like, there's no indication according to Scripture. That doesn't mean that it's not there, just because it wasn't written down, but... And there always seems to be that written down stuff that you're like, well, you gave us more information than we really needed. <laughs> and since we don't have that, like, 
and David was suspect, so Absalom did this. Right, doesn't say that. Yeah, so... And so, and whenever he says, hey, I'm, I'm going to serve the Lord, yeah. David's gung-ho. That could be another reason to be like, go, because you're, you're standing out there in the gate, encouraging people, now you want to go make this offering to the Lord, like maybe he just kind of sees his son growing up in the Lord. He's following in the, the kingly lineship. Right. And that's, that's, that's what I'm seeing when I'm hearing it, when I'm reading it. That's what I'm kind of getting out of it. That's that's what we that's what I see. Yeah. It it I mean it looks good to David. I really yeah. think now, you know, and so the, I think that's why I think that's why he would kind of like ask. Mm-hmm. Because it seems like he's going in and out it, mm-hmm. the way that he always has before. Right. You know, and you know, he's been sticking around Jerusalem four years now and now here's the move. Mm-hmm. And he knows how to get to David's heart. Which uh, if I were David, I'd probably go. Well, that's great. Yes, mm-hmm. we'll serve the Lord. And I'm sure Absalom is pretty good. Uh, pretty good actor. Yeah. <laughs> and so he puts it on. He is a manipulator. Yep. So does that seem about right? Well, let's go with that then. All right. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> We know that uh, now Hebron is a key place because that is where David had gone, and uh, that's where he made his debut as king. Right? He was king in Hebron first, before he took all the whole nation of Israel, and before you know he later wound up what we know now as Jerusalem, as the capital there of Israel. In that way, if you go back to chapter two. Uh, same book here, chapter 2. Get the first four verses. Uh, and this is where David asked the Lord, and he says, Hey, shall I go up to the cities of Judah? Shall I take over, you know, uh, more of an area here? And the Lord said to him, Go up. David said, Where shall I go up? He said, To Hebron. So David went up there, and his two wives also, Hinnom, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite. David brought up his men who were with him, each with his household, and they lived in the cities of Hebron. Then the men of Judah came, and there anointed David king over the house of Judah. So the house of Judah, of course, that that whole area, he's now the king of. There's uh, Hebron, key city. And so... I think it's funny how it's kind of Absalom is doing kind of the same thing that David did. It's like, what is so great about Hebron then? That that's where kings go to get anointed. This must be the place. So Absalom says that. Of course, he was born there too. Um, and so you go to chapter 3, verse 2 and 3. I do want to say real quick that it's interesting how it says that David turns to the Lord and said, shall I? Yeah. And that's the key, isn't it? Yeah. That's kind of like the whole difference between David and Absalom is that Absalom was working in the flesh and David was working with the Lord in the Spirit. David asked the Lord. That's how you look at it. That's a good way to read Scripture because that means a lot. And we know his heart was right. 3, 2, and 3 says, Sons were born to David at Hebron. His firstborn was Amnon by Ahinoam the Jezreelites, and his second, Chiliab, by Abigail, the widow of Nabal, Carmelite, and the third, Absalom, 
son of Maka, the daughter of Talmai, king of Geshur. So there is Absalom being born in that town. So it definitely has a lot of significance. And so when he says to David that's where he wanted to go, David goes, well, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's a perfect to place to go. Roots. There you go. He has a yeah. Well, I did also want to find something interesting that he says, uh, Absalom, as soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, then say Absalom is king at Hebron. That made me think of Revelation when the trumpets are sounded and Christ is anointed. He's already known as the king, but he comes back and everybody knows. That kind of just, you know, when they always sound the trumpet, it's either for like war or well, let's get into that section here. Um, and we're in the 10 through 12, which is where the conspiracy starts happening now. We read that. So he actually has some spies that are sent out all through Israel. Okay? So he, you know, he's built up quite a friendship a lot of people and he trusts them so you know they're going to go out and do they and they trust him now you know he's built that up um let's see where was that oh and then he's got 200 men in verse 11 that went with him who were invited and went innocently and they didn't know anything they just go but the influence is going to happen as this goes on, and you have the spies out there, and they're going to connect with the people, and that's why you're going to have a huge number of people start to follow Absalom. Yeah, they're making him look real good, and with what he's doing. So he's got those 200 men from Jerusalem. They go to Hebron. They have no idea exactly what he has in mind. They're supporting with what he's doing, but, you know, they're innocent. I mean, it's not like they're trying to overturn David as king. And see, this is one of those verses I was talking about, is that they informed us that these people were innocent. And it was very detailed. It was like, no, these people were innocent. They were there. Yeah. But they're at this point, they're innocent. And but it looks like to the other people they are going to, yeah. and he's got an army. Yeah. And they don't know that that's what that looks like. Yeah. Which I mean, if you know, you're like, oh, the son of the king has invited us to go with him to an event. Oh, who am I to turn him down? You know? Yeah. David is given the blessing to, to go. You know, David's not going to go. I think it's more or less. You know, why? Why does go he really? Yeah, that's like the party. Right, that's um, happened before, go hasn't? Your, go do your thing. Go have fun. I'm going to stay here. And he's got a lot of things to do. Yeah, that's true too. So in Absalom sent for Ahithophel. This is fascinating here. He's the Gilonite, David's counselor from his city, Gilo, while he's offering sacrifices. While he's doing that, 
David has a very, I guess you could say a very wise counselor, Ahithophel. And Ahithophel winds up becoming a traitor. Absalom somehow managed to recruit Ahithophel to his side. And this man is one who's very, very well respected by David, by all the people. And all of a sudden you have a wise counselor who is now with you. He's getting some big name build-ups here. You know, and people are going, wow, what's what's going on here? This this looks interesting. Uh, he's as if one inquired of the word of the Lord himself. I mean, this guy is a major blow uh, to David uh, by losing him. He takes his, David takes this betrayal personally. Oh. Because he writes psalms about it, doesn't he? Well, I think, in, yeah, there, uh, you look in the psalms and you'll see that. As, of course, whenever he was on the run from Saul, you see that all throughout. And then you see how he, like his own son turns uh, his back on him, you know. Yeah, he mentions how he says the, something about my enemies my enemies are attacking me, but they're not enemies from the outside who are attacking me. They're enemies from like within my own circle, my own council. They have betrayed me. Yeah, that's a, that's a good one there, Audrey. Uh, what we have here? Well, actually, sometimes when you have, even though it shows like a reference in some of those psalms, uh, they are actually in the psalm that way. Uh, sometimes it'll say for the choir director, you know, on a on an instrument, string instrument, whatever. That too, even though it seems like it's not inspired, it actually is part of that psalm. So I think right there, a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom his son. Is that what your guy says? Just before the verse starts? Let's read it. O Lord, how my adversaries have increased. Many are rising up against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no deliverance for him in God. Then you have the word selah, which means pause. Or I like to think, jam. Start playing the instruments, you know, between verses. That's just a musicianship in me that I would do that. But I've heard that before. But anyway. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the one who lifts my head. I was crying to the Lord with my voice, and He answered me from His holy mountain. I lay down and slept. I woke, for the Lord sustains me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me round about. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you have smitten all my enemies on the cheek. You've shattered the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be upon your people. Selah. So, uh, like quite a prayer there about trusting in God and there is own people that turn against Him. Again, David <laughs> is in a situation that is... Unbelievable. Being a king of the Israelites must be difficult. I feel bad for both Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird because when you 
when you're king and then your people turn against you and you're still king afterwards, and you're just like, you people turned against me. <laughs> I can't, it's not like I can go around and slay you all because I'm not that kind of king, but I don't trust anyone. Well, tell me this. Now, get God into this. How can God use something like that? Is he teaching a lot of lessons? Well, it happened to his own son, too, didn't it? And, of course, you think of uh, Judas. The betrayal there. Uh, you think of the whole nation of Israel turned their back on, his, on, on him. As a whole, that is. He came to his own, and his own received him not. So, God knows how that feels through the person of Christ. And we've all had it happen. We've, we've seen it where we've had best friends turn on us for no reason at all. Lie about us, or say some horrible things that are not true, and they know it. And, you know, when you experience that, it's, it's tough to take, isn't it? But yet, I think God uses those kind of things, and I think He's teaching David all the way through this. You know, it's not a matter of all punishment. It's really a matter of God's training him up all the way through, even in difficult circumstances. And these are difficult. So, yeah. Sorry. I find it interesting, like, everything that happened with uh, the half-brother and the daughter and Absalom, you really don't get a whole lot of David get a whole lot of David. It seems like he's kind of uh, yeah, something's going on in his life that he is just like not there. And, you know, the, the focus is here, but you know, we start to get more of David as the stuff starts to play out. Yep. You know, because here in the next couple of chapters, not Yeah. Could it be kind of like a lull and even in your spiritual life? Uh, and I, that happens sometimes? I think he's like I almost feel like when I think of David in this situation up until like right now when everything starts going off and he has to like flee, he just seems like in a very shadowy place. Yeah. Because, he, you know, he's not, it just doesn't seem like Absalom, if there was justice that happened in his own house, you know, I doubt this would have happened. He's preoccupied with other stuff. Yeah. It's, yeah which, just, I mean, there is a point when they get to a certain age. Yeah. You have to kind of let them figure out some stuff themselves, right? <laughs> yeah. It just seems very awesome. That, you know, yeah. you now, do something we have something yeah. really interesting here. Uh, Ahithophel, how's he related in all this? Right. Go to chapter 11, verse 3. Let's trace this for a moment. Still with David and you know his sin with Bathsheba, David sent and inquired about the woman, Bathsheba. And one said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah? But he's the uh, she's the daughter of Eliam. Now go to chapter twenty three, verse thirty four. Here it gives a bunch of names. And back in 24, you've got Joab and Shaman. You just keep on going. Verse 34 says, 
Eliphalet, the son of uh, Hoshbai, the son of the Machathite, Eliam, the son of Ahithophel, the Gilanite. Oh, who is he? He's the grandfather of Bathsheba. Are we getting a little help here now? What are we thinking? If he's the grandfather of Bathsheba, he's a wise counselor of David, why would he go to you know to, and do what he's doing? Because he killed his first son. <laughs> killed his first son in law and took a wife. Had an affair. Started his whole spiel. And, and, and made his daughter. Yeah. Okay. Wow. That's a little grudge there. Dang, everybody's pulling out their grudges. <laughs> years later. Yeah. Here, many years later. So, uh, that could be. Part of the play here. Uh, well, they see a character <coughs> so they continue that. The first chance they got, he jumped on. Yep, he kept it in his mind all along. But he's been with David. He's been a great counselor. A lot of wisdom has been used there uh, with David from Ahithophel. Nevertheless, no matter what Ahithophel does, God is still going to make use of Ahithophel. Boy, this story just keeps on going, doesn't it? Well, he didn't have much time to because that's his father's fault. One of his father's faults. Yeah. <laughs> um, go just for a moment. Look at 2 Samuel 12, 11 and 12. Uh, I think I'm going somewhere. Yeah. yeah. Saul is gone. Yep. He's been gone for about, what, 30? It's. Who knows how far along we are in the story in years. I wish I knew, but I really don't have any exact, but it's pretty well up there. Because yeah, David was, he became king at 30, right? Yeah. At 30, mm-hmm. and then his reign for 40 years. And that was after uh, Saul died. Right. So it's definitely, I, I would say it's probably 30 plus years now that that's happened. And his son, yeah. Jonathan. Not to go too far ahead, but shortly after this whole thing with Absalom, we get kind of close to the end of David. His, you know, his life <laughs> becomes a really old. What did you say? Sorry. Second Samuel. Let's see if we can set this up. 12 verse 11, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you. He's talking to David here. Nathan is, right? And this is God's word. Evil against you from your own household, from your own family. I will even take your wives before your eyes, give them to your companion, his son, and he will lie with your wives in broad daylight. Indeed, you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and under the sun. Then go to 16. Uh, chapter 16, verse 20. So you see what the idea was there, right? 16:20. Absalom said to Hithophel, Give your advice. What shall we do? Hithophel said to Absalom, Go into your father's concubines, whom he has left to keep the house. Then all Israel will hear that you have made yourself odious to your father. The hands of all who are with you will also be strengthened. 
the wise counselor, uh, one more verse, so they pitched a tent for Absalom on the roof, and Absalom went into his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel. The advice of Ahithophel, which he gave in those days, was if one inquired of the Word of God. So whatever he said was like, this is, this is what God says. Yeah. Not that. So was all the advice of Ahithophel regarded by both David and Absalom. I mean, this man, top of the line. And yet, look what he's doing here. He really wanted to get back at David. He let it all go now, didn't he? Very angry at him as time went on. So does that give us a pretty good explanation of who Ahithophel is? And the, the number of people, they're increasing. It says right at the end of 12, the people increase continually with Absalom. I, I think it's uh, interesting that it says that if, he, if Absalom does this to David's wife, not only will he be a stench to his own father, so the people will say like, oh, okay, now we know for sure that Ahithophel doesn't like his father. He definitely doesn't want anything to do with his father. Yeah, doesn't like his father because what kind of son would do that? You know, a son would not do that to his father if his son loved his father. So not only is he showing the people I hate my father, but also he's showing his troops that because it, it says that it will strengthen your your troops. It'll they'll be like ah see so he's really committed. Then like this is like a little charade maybe going on. Maybe he's gonna back out of this. Maybe he'll turn to his father. But if he goes through with this. Then the men are like, oh, there's no coming back from this. Like, you officially said that you are king of Israel and you're, you're making that statement, you're making that claim. You're gonna... When you've done the concubines, that not... is saying before all of Israel, yeah. I am now the king. Yeah, and he's, he's not, I don't think it's so much as a challenge to the challenge. It's like, I challenge you to do it. And you smack him, you take off your glove. But, I mean, he is, but I think it's more than a challenge, more than it's more of like a... That's what a lion, you know, a lion, another lion wants to take over. That's what they do. But they go and they take the women away and then they chase off the little lion and go off and die. Right. That's the same thing as Okay. Because that's what I see, and that's why I thought it was interesting that it said that your, your, your men's hands will be strengthened, like, for you. Instead of against you, because they'll see that David is. Yeah, they'll see how weak David is, and they'll see how strong his son is, and how committed he is, and like, let's do it. He deserves to be the Yeah. Taking it by force. So, what's David's response? Well, it's um, fight or flight, right? Look at that. A messenger came to David saying, The hearts of the men of Israel are with Absalom. There's bad news. Yeah. Do you think David's really surprised? <clears throat> Probably not totally because... Well, watch how quickly he uh, reacts. David said to all his servants who were with him at Jerusalem, Arise, let us flee. He's not a chicken here. For otherwise, none of us will escape from Absalom. Go in haste, or he'll overtake us quickly. Bring down calamity on us and strike the city with the edge of the sword. I don't think that he's just running to be running because he's afraid. I mean, you know, he doesn't like to hear this, but I don't think he's totally surprised. He says, we got to get out of here. we got to get out of here quickly. 
I think that he is concerned about the people in Jerusalem that are still there, his own people. He's concerned about the city. Um, and as far as the walls are concerned, you know, maybe not everything's all built up, but as time is gone, you know, you've got a beautiful city coming and, and happening here. And uh, also, I don't think he wants to fight his son. He could have stayed there, got up his own army, and, and you know, let's go to war and defend this. But that, that means all those people his son, the city, everything's there, and he's not leaving his throne. And he'd say, why is that not? Well, he doesn't, he leaves ten concubines there, which means this is still my throne. I'm still the king. I'm getting out right now because I don't want to blow this city up. Yeah. I'm they, coming back. If they fight in the city, that's casualties damage like you're saying, you know, and That's all your children, everybody's David's like David's fled before, yep. you know, to survive. Um, but this time since he's been in war several many, many years, you know, sometimes to retreat, withdraw is the better solution so that you can re- gather your forces and regard this is what we need to do. This is when he's establishing a kingdom. Let him be a little comfortable. Right. And that's and that's what he's going to do. He's going to observe. At the same time, is if this is God's will, then and it's all part of this discipline. Then so be it. God, go ahead and do what you're going to do. Right. Because I don't think there's any chance they even forgot Nathan's words. Yeah. And what well, we just read earlier. It's just clicking back he in. Okay, I'm going to maybe comment or something in here where to close this out. Go in haste. Come on, let's go. He'll overtake us quickly, bring down calamity on us, strike the city with the edge of the sword. He's concerned about a lot of things here. Then the king's servants said to the king, Behold, your servants are ready to do whatever my lord the king chooses. So he has a lot of people there. And and we'll see here. So the king went out and all his household went with him. So his family and all that. Servants and such. The king left ten concubines to keep the house. To keep the house. To take care of it. Shows that I'm leaving. But that doesn't mean I'm leaving my throne. That's The symbol of the concubines have a lot to say there. That's what the deal was whenever Absalom wants to take over the kingship and, of course, he's counseled to do what he did. The king went out and all the people with him and they stopped at the last house. They went as far as they could. And all his servants passed on beside him. So he stopped there. He saw them going by. He went as far as he could go. All the Cherethites, all the Pelethites, and all the Gittites. The Gittites are from Gath. The Philistines. These guys have been following David for years, even long before he was king. He picked up a lot of these people that are Gentiles that that go along with him. 600 men who had come with him from Gath. 
passed on before the king. That means they're getting they're going on out. He could have taken on battle against him. Right. No way. So then the king said to Ittai, the Gittite, and a well-respected Ittai, why will you also go with us? Return and remain with the king, for you are a foreigner and also an exile. Return to your own place. He just joined up with him. He says, why should you should be caught up in this? Why don't you go on back? Uh, you came only yesterday, and shall I day today make you wander with us while we go where I will? Return and take back your brothers. Mercy and truth be with you. But it I answered and said to him, As the Lord lives, as my Lord the King lives, surely whatever my Lord the King may be, wherever for death, for life, there also your servant will be. People are ready to die for David. Reminds me of Ruth, right? Uh, boy, good. Very good. Because that was one of my comments. I was going to make. Oh, no. That was very good. I was going to no. no, that's an excellent, excellent point. That's exactly what Ruth did. Isn't that beautiful? And it, it, I mean, this when he, this person says this, I wonder if that struck something in his heart, like about Uriah. Because you know, wow. like Uriah was the because it mentions that this guy was like what? What did it say about him? This, this character, this fellow. Well, he's a foreigner, but look, he believes in the one true God, Yahweh. Verse 21. But Ittai answered the king and said, As the Lord lives. Just like Ruth. As the Lord. The one true God lives. He's a believer. He's a Gentile. He was a, 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 a Gittite, Gath. And as my Lord the king, David lives. Surely wherever my Lord the king Maybe whether for death or for life, there also your servant will be. So that's a, a good character of him. He's a believer, and he's whatever it is, he knows that he will live or die uh, with with David. So he said to Ittai, "Go and pass over." Oh, he said, "Okay, go ahead." They're passing over. You know where the city of Jerusalem is, and there's a valley between them. That's the brook Kidron, Kidron Valley. And you go right on up to the Mount of Olives. You've done a lot of traveling. Have you been to Israel? Yeah. Well, if you ever go, you have Jerusalem, and then right across that valley is, and it's you know big hill up there. That's where you know everybody's familiar with the Mount of Olives. Jesus went there often. Of course, he left there, and then he's going to come back to the Mount of Olives. But that's where they're at. And they're getting out of Jerusalem. They crossed over the brook Kidron. They're going up to the Mount of Olives. David is kind of letting them all go through and making sure that the ones that he wants to be with him to be there. And then he tells Ittai, won't you just go on home? And, and he says, no way. While all the country is weeping with a loud voice, they're, they're all in mourning now. The people passed over. They passed over Brook Kidron. The king also passed over the Brook Kidron. All the people passed over toward the way of the wilderness. Now behold, Zadok also came. He's a priest. All the Levites with him carrying the Ark of the Covenant of God. And they set down the Ark of God and Abiathar came up until all the people had finished passing from the city. The king said to Zadok, take the Ark back. Alright? Because... A lot of times people would take that ark as some kind of form of magic. 
David knows better about that yeah, now, doesn't he? Yeah. <laughs> as much as I might want that thing with me, take it back. Take it back. You go back. You know, that's the whole idea. Return the ark of God to the city. If I find favor in the sight of the Lord, then He'll bring me back again and show me both in His appetite. If it's the Lord's will, I'm supposed to come back and be king. I'll remain king, but if I'm supposed to come back, then that's the way it'll be. It'll be the God's will. But if he should say this, I have no delight in you. Behold, here I am. Let him do to me as whatever seems good to me. The king said also to Zadok the priest, Are you not a seer, a prophet? Return to the city in peace, and you two, uh, and your two sons, your son uh, Amos, and Jonathan the son of Abiathar, because he's got a plan. They can help be spies and tell him what's going on in the city. See, I'm going to wait at the fords of the wilderness until word comes from you to inform me. So David's using a lot of wisdom in this whole deal now, isn't he? Therefore Zadok and Abiathar returned the ark of God to Jerusalem and remained there. Keep it there. David went up the ascent of the Mount of Olives, wept as he went. He doesn't like this whole deal. His head was covered and he walked barefoot. Then all the people who were with him each covered his head went up weeping as they went. Someone told David, saying, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And he goes, oh, what more? (laughs) And David said, oh, Lord, I pray, make the counsel of Ahithophel foolishness. And dead. It happened as David was coming to the summit where David was wor- or, whoops, where God was worshipped, that behold, Hushai the archite met him with his coat torn and dust on his head. He was in mourning also. David said to him, If you pass over with me, the Kidron, then you'll be a burden to me. But if you return to the city and say to Absalom, I will be your servant, O king, as I have been your father's servant in time past, so I will now be your servant. Then you can port the counsel of Ahithophel for me. This is another counselor. Another man who has helped David all along. He says, listen, you can do a lot better by not being with me, but going back into Jerusalem and work against the counsel of Ahithophel. Because he's the only one that could be able to do such a plan. Are not Zadok and Abiathar, the priest, with you there? So it shall be that whatever you hear from the king's house, and he's going to be able to do it. Right there at the best place he could be, you shall report to Zadok and Abiathar, the priest. So you report it to the the priest, and behold, their two sons are with them there, Amoz, Zadok's son, and Jonathan, Abiathar's son, and by them you shall send me everything that you hear. David is not weak as it may seem that it's happening. He knows what he's doing. So who shot? David's friend came into the city and Absalom came in to Jerusalem. There we go. Uh, you know what? David in action. It's kind of cool to see him in action again. It kind of reminds me of yeah. his youth. When he was amongst the, the commanders and said he was the greatest one, and everything that David did, it was like fruitful, and everybody's all impressed. 
It's it. That's what's happening, isn't it? And he's he doesn't want to blow his city away and his people and his son. They very carefully does it, but he sends his own spies in there and he's going to get information with what's there. going on. <laughs> so he has no intention of losing his kingship. Although it will look like that, I think he's under the direction of Yahweh. Belief that yeah, I think he's good to see. Him. I think he's following, like he's he's in line with the will of God at this point. Like he's just like like the the words of Nathan, you know, the prophet may have just reclicked, and he's just like, I just need to do what I'm supposed to do because there was a promise to him that his life would not be taken, you know, and that he wasn't going to lose his kingdom. So you know. But that there was going to, evil was going to come up against him. Yeah, and he was going to come and he knew that. Yeah. Yeah. But David, when he knows who his enemies are, mm-hmm. he's also going to take And he's had a lot of training in this practice. already, hasn't yeah. he? And he's, and he's much older and more trained and more experienced, and, you know, he knows the ins and outs, so it's like. He put his word on Yeah. And he did it in a wise way. He could have yeah. just took him on straight ahead. No, a lot of damage would have happened. Mean, but, but he loves those people. Yep. What's going on there? That's right. Uh, and he would have his people. And I think... Yeah, he's really looking to... And David's like, no, this is, the, this is good and right. Mm-hmm. So let me step out of the picture for a while to keep everybody else from being hurt. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, they're staying here because they're, they want you yeah. and so they can all kind of stay here and smile. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. It's a quite a story, isn't it? Yeah. It develops. Well, David is, is trusting in the Word of God, ultimately. And, uh, you know, he's got a lot of wisdom in himself, but God is the one that has trained him up at this point to do what he's doing. Even though it looks weak, it's not. And I kind of, I know we're kind of, I think at this point we're past the whole Bathsheba thing. But when Uriah was killed, you know, several men were sacrificed along with Uriah. Before right. I thought it was just Uriah, and they just all withdrew from Uriah. And then I read it again, and it was like, well, actually, Uriah was worth a couple of souls there. <laughs> you know, and that showed David not loving his people, not loving his troops, like loving himself over his people. And then here, he's loving the people over himself. He is loving, because the amount of pride that a person has to give up to just be like, all right, look, guys, instead of fighting, we need to retreat. For the people. Yeah, and I think, yeah, and I think, uh, I don't know if it haunts him or not, but, you know, the, the fact that he made that move with Uriah and sacrificed those people, I don't think he would ever do that again. I think that when he did that, I don't think he will ever make that decision again, no matter how much the temptation or whatever it is pleasing him. So. Yep. Well, Thank you guys for coming out. Good to see you.
Let's let's pray. <laughs> What's that? Yeah. Written by Richard Blackmore, Ian Gillen, Roger D. Glover, John Ward, and Ian Pace. They yep. all wrote in on. <laughs> they all got a. They all got royalty checks. That's right. They're still probably making it. <laughs> I might do something back in the mid '70s. I can make money on now. There we go. <laughs> hey, you understand where I was at? <laughs> I'm glad I'm not there anymore. But <laughs> at any rate, dearly Father, thank you so much for this evening that we had, be able to get into your Word and uh, let you teach us, and then we see uh, characteristics of your nature come out in one who follows you. As we we look at David, and, and we see also. Uh, how you work all, all the way through as you make your people stronger through some of the worst circumstances. You humble us, Lord, to bring us to where you want us, to the very best that we can be. And of course, that will be when Christ comes back. But even at that, you're, uh, you're training us, disciplining us, making us stronger. Uh, and Lord, we know that it's through the cross is how we're made strong through Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.